0: Today's scripture comes from 1 Peter 2 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture Behold,
1: Sorry, am I messing up your equipment? <laughs> I just want to see everybody. All right, all set. You know, it's good to see everybody here today, and uh, I just want to reiterate: after service, we are going to have uh, a bone marrow drive. And Dan now was here last week to share a little bit more details about it. But uh, they're going to set up a station after service. So, if that's something that you uh, want to do, uh, please by all means. Um, go see them after service. Now, uh, this summer what we've been doing is we've been trying to look at some of the foundational Christian practices that have shaped Christians over the years. And in September, what we're going to do is we're going to start up our small groups again. And so in view of that, what I thought it would be good to do is just Maybe talk about the purpose of why we have small groups in the first place. And uh, I don't know if it's something that you've thought about or it's something that you kind of assume. But why do we think it's so important to meet up together as Christians, not only on Sundays in, in corporate worship, but even during the week in these small groups? Now, let me just share a little bit uh, of an anecdote First. You know, I was, uh, I was teaching a membership class, and if you don't know what a membership class is, basically it's, you know, you become a member, you're, you're saying you're making a formal commitment to this local church body. And I was teaching a membership class, and I go over some of the things, like the vision of the church and how we try to achieve this vision, and one person was, uh, you know, as I was going over the section on small group, one of the people in the membership class said, you know, small group is a very generic term, and it doesn't really communicate what it's supposed to be or the purpose of it. And all it tells us is this, that we are just gathering in a smaller number of people. And so someone who's not really familiar with that term, and maybe somebody who's never been to church before, isn't really going to understand what the point of small group is. And so you make these announcements and you say, come, come to a small group. And it's kind of like, uh, well, what is it, right? What do you do in these small groups? And so because of that, I think that's actually a really good point. And so uh, we're going to make a slight change to our small group ministry, and we're going to do what many other churches are have already done, and we're a little bit behind, but we're going to start calling it community groups, okay? We're going to call it community groups to emphasize the point that the purpose is to be in community together, to build community together. And, uh, you know, I think maybe, uh, you know, that that's something important to remember because sometimes I feel like uh, some of us think, you know, if we go to this community group or this small group and we just kind of have dinner and, and talk and talk about our weeks, then it's kind of like, oh, I didn't get anything out of it. What was the point of that? Uh, But I want to say even things like that is meaningful and deeply important. Even just the act of gathering together on a weekly basis and seeing the same faces and the same people every week is important and it's worth it. But at the same time, we're not trying to create these little social clubs where you just kind of do these fun things together, but there's a deeper spiritual reality that takes place within Christian community, and therefore, it's supposed to go far beyond just our personal, individual fulfillment. It's a place where we reflect and apply scripture together, perhaps even struggle together and ask questions together. It's a place where we pray together and challenge one another and support one another when we're going through difficult times. Essentially, it's the place where we walk this life of faith together. And so if you're part of a community group, uh, I, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page in terms of what we're trying to do with these community groups. But if you're not part of a community group and it's, maybe it's something that you go to occasionally or you don't really see the importance of it, uh, what I want to do today is I, I want to try to persuade you that it's actually something that is deeply important uh, for our growth and for our faith. And in order to do that, we're going to look at this important passage that tells us what it means to be a spiritual community. Now, this is uh, this is a pretty famous passage, and it says a lot. And I was looking at my notes, and I've actually preached on this passage three times last year, and maybe you don't remember, but this passage is just so rich and says a lot about what church is, says a lot about what Christian community is. And what I want to do is look at this passage again and really think about what the reason is. Why, why do we gather together? Why do we need uh, to be in community? And right from the start, you see in verse 5, it says that we are like living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. We are like living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. And that's a really important metaphor to understand who we are and we're going to spend some time extracting exactly what this imagery tells us. Now one of the commentaries that I was reading says that what this imagery implies is that the significance and the purpose of an individual can't be realized apart from community with others. The idea is if you have this individual brick, you don't realize its full purpose until it's used in conjunction with all of these other bricks. By itself, this brick could be used as a doorstop. This brick could be used as a paperweight. But you don't realize its full purpose and its full significance until it is used in conjunction with all of these other bricks to build a house. And so this commentator says, similarly, if you are a Christian, as an individual Christian, there's a limitation to what you can understand about yourself, your purpose, and your significance on your own, but you need to be in community. You need other bricks. You need to be part of this spiritual house in order to fully realize who you are and why you are here. And believe it or not, that is actually quite a statement to make in Western individualistic culture because... Western culture says the exact opposite. It says if you want to discover your significance and your purpose, what you need to do is you need to look within. You need to look at your own passions. You need to look at your own heart. And from there, you discover who you are, what your purpose is, and what your significance is. And I think you know that's probably part, uh, at least part of the reason why things like institutions, including the church, is oftentimes seen in a negative light because some people say, Community, all it does is restrict you from really discovering yourself. Community, all it does is really restrict you from finding your full purpose and your full realization. And oftentimes that's the perspective that people have. But this passage says the opposite. This imagery says the exact opposite. And this image says that you only find your purpose and significance ultimately in the context of community. Now, The house that is being built here, it's not any kind of house, but it is a spiritual house. And because it's a spiritual house, one of the things that it's supposed to remind us of or point to is the reality of the temple. You have these ancient religions, and in ancient religions, how do you connect to God? The way you connect to God is you build a temple, and through the temple, you are able to connect to God. And therefore, if you've ever read the Old Testament... The temple was a very important thing to the people of Israel. When it was destroyed, it was a very devastating thing. They tried to rebuild it because it was such an important thing. And then it got destroyed again, which, again, is a very devastating thing. But then you get to Jesus, and Jesus comes, and when Jesus comes to earth, he does something very radical. And what he does is he begins to condemn temple religion. And he begins to start talking about its destruction. And then after Jesus dies, after he's raised, and after he ascends into heaven... There's something noticeably absent in the Christian faith. There is no more temple, right? Now, why is there no more temple in the Christian faith? And the reason is not because we don't need a temple anymore, but the reason is because now the temple is the church. The very people of God is now called the temple. And what that means is, I would say, the primary way in which you are going to connect to God is not, being in the woods on your own, by yourself, with your own thoughts. But the primary way you connect to God is going to be in the context of God's temple, which is the church community. And that means that community is not some optional add-on to the Christian faith, but it's actually something that is central and essential to the Christian faith. And if, you want, if you're a person that really wants to know God and to know Christ and to connect with Him, then community is essential for that as well. I think some of us might understand uh, that Christian community is essential. Uh, we know church is important, uh, but still, we don't really want to be a part of it, and we don't want to engage in it. And uh, if we ask ourselves why, I think the honest answer is because community life is not easy. Uh, community life is difficult. Community life is inconvenient. And one of the reasons why community life is not easy is because there's also a progressive character to it. And so if you look at verse 5, again, let me tweak the translation a little bit. It says this, that we are continually or we are progressively being built up into a spiritual house. You know what that means? That means no community is going to be perfect and no community is ever going to be complete, but every community is going to be a community that is in progress. And that... That tells us a lot about the difficulties that we're going to see in community. Now, uh, my family, we, we just moved and we had some kitchen renovations and kitchen work done. And uh, the progressive part of building something is always a messy endeavor. And for about a week and a half, we lived where all of the appliances were strewn in our living room. Uh, there were garbage bags and there were tools everywhere. Uh, you saw the dents. You saw the imperfections in the walls and in the floors and all of these things. And to be quite honest, living in our apartment wasn't very comfortable. Uh, it was very difficult. And sometimes it felt like uh, it, it didn't feel like home. It didn't feel like this was the place that we wanted to be. And when we understand that community can also be like that because it is a work in progress, we understand why community can be difficult. Sometimes there are imperfections. Sometimes it's not going to feel like our home. But here's the reality and the truth of the matter, and here's why we have hope in it. God is building this community and what he is doing is he is fitting these imperfect, misshaped stones and he's fitting them together. Now, another reason why community life is not easy is um, I think it restricts what we want. Uh, It restricts what we want to do. It uh, restricts our desire for things like control and things like comfort and things like convenience. And uh, that's probably why a lot of people uh... don't want to engage in real meaningful community now uh, one of the things that when you read just secular social scientists one of the things that they are always pointing out is how lonely people are and if you know people in new york uh, i'm sure that's one of the great paradoxes of being in the city is that so many people are lonely despite the fact that they're always around people And so, for example, uh, the sociologist named Robert Bella in Habits of the Heart, he says that, you know, while most social groups are in decline, the only groups that are growing are actually support groups. And what these groups do is they make very minimal demands on their members, and they're oriented primarily towards the needs of the individual. And what he calls this focus on the self in the presence of others, he says, it's like being alone only together. Sherry Turkle, professor at MIT, she borrowed that phrase, being alone together, and she writes about how even though uh, technology, in a way, keeps people connected all the time, we are more disconnected from real relationship than ever before. And she says there is a strange paradox that's occurring because we want to be connected on the one hand, but we want to be connected to other people on our own terms. We're lonely but we're afraid of intimacy. We want companionship, but we don't want to do it without uh, fulfilling the demands of friendship. We want to feel connected, but only in ways in which we can comfortably control. And so she argues that's probably one of the reasons why there is this increased sense of loneliness and disconnectedness in our culture and in our society. But if this passage is true, And if you are a living stone that is being built into something, you know what that means? Uh, That means you're somewhat restricted, right? Uh, You think of this picture of what people uh, are currently living. You have these individual separate stones, and maybe they're in the same vicinity together, but they're not actually interconnected. But think about what it would be like to be a stone built into a building. Uh, You're stuck there. You can't move. And there is a sense in which you lose... uh, your comfort, you lose your convenience, and you lose your control. But that's actually the very things that we need if we want the community that we long for deep within our hearts. Now, to give up control and to allow people to make these demands upon you, uh, no doubt can be a very scary thing. Uh, That's why so many people have commitment phobia. Uh, I don't want to make a commitment to these people because what if it doesn't work out? Right? What if uh, something happens? What if I don't like them in the end? What if they end up hurting me? And so we kind of do this like halfway, halfway in and halfway out, and we never reach the full potential of what community is meant to be. But here's why community uh, or Christian community in, in some sense should be safer. And it's not because people, Christians, are necessarily uh, better or won't hurt you, but it's because of what Peter talks about here as the cornerstone. The cornerstone. You see, the cornerstone, it's essentially a stone that joins these two walls, and uh, in architecture, I guess it would be the foundation of the building. And in this passage, what Peter is pointing to and saying is, Jesus is ultimately the cornerstone. He is the foundation of this spiritual house. It's this common faith in his death and resurrection that ultimately brings us together and binds us together, and it's upon that rock that we stand. And therefore, what we should strive to do is build these communities uh, based on Jesus' word, based on his will, based on his heart. That means we are to listen to what the Bible teaches, we obey what Jesus commands, and we love the way that Jesus loves. But, you know, sometimes even in church, we tend to build these communities, I think, on different foundations. We like to build communities based on common interests, maybe similar stages of life. And why do we do that? Because ultimately for us, it is the easier thing to do. It's an easier way to connect. But ultimately, I think in the long run, uh, communities that are built on these foundations eventually crumble. And perhaps some of us have experienced it. People eventually have different interests. People eventually move into different life stages. And when our connection to one another is on these things, then eventually we lose touch with others. And so if you want to overcome this progressive nature of community, I think one of the central truths that you have to understand is that you are, in fact, a part of it. If you have faith in Christ, if you believe in the gospel, you are objectively a part of it, of this spiritual house. Or uh, to put it another way, I think you have to have a sense of ownership, a sense of ownership of the community. You know, there's a difference in mentality between renting something and owning something. Uh, I've told this story before, but, you know, when I was in college, I lived with six other guys. I had my own room. And uh, in my room, living in the wall, was a squirrel. And so uh, every morning at, like, six in the morning, I would just hear this squirrel, like, running around a little bit and then just kind of start scratching at the wall. And uh, I would just bang on it. I would say, be quiet, be quiet, let me sleep, and you know what uh, happened after a couple of weeks, uh, something you know, really weird. I began to see this, like, this hole forming in my wall. And uh, you know, as the days went by, the hole just kind of got bigger and bigger. And you know what I did? Uh, I just covered it with a piece of paper. Right? I just put tape around it. And I called the landlord and I said, hey, uh, there's this problem. There's, all, there's a squirrel in the wall. Uh, but beyond that, I didn't really do anything about it. right? Why? I honestly, I didn't care. I had a couple months left to live in that apartment. I was like, I'm going to move out anyway. Ultimately, this is not my problem. But you know, if you own a home or if you own an apartment or if you own a car or if you just own something and something like that were to happen, this is a completely different mentality. You hear that scratch and you say, Oh, what is that? There's a squirrel in my wall. I need to deal with this problem, right? I need to take ownership of it. I need to make sure that this doesn't become a bigger problem. And I think the reality of it is many people in, uh, in New York, we kind of come to New York and maybe because it's such a transient city, uh, we take the approach to community and look at it as if it's a rental, right? As if, you know, ultimately it's not my problem. Ultimately it's not something that I have ownership of. And ultimately, this is not a place where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And so, therefore, uh, I don't have to care about it. See, that's the difference between rental mentality and ownership mentality. I think what this passage is saying is if you are a living stone, if you are a believer in Christ, the objective reality is this, that you do belong to the spiritual house because Christ has made you belong to the spiritual house. And therefore, you have to have ownership of the spiritual house or Probably the better word for it is stewardship. You ought to care for it as if it has been entrusted to you because you are indeed, in fact, a part of it. You know, a while ago, uh, you know, someone who is not from this church was uh, just talking to me about their church and their community. And uh, he was saying, you know, my church, we don't feel close, right? We just meet on Sundays and we have like these groups, uh, but nobody actually feels like, you know, they're close with the people in church. And he said, "So, what do you think about that?" <clears throat> and uh, I, you know, I basically said, "You know, I think it's important for a, a, church, a community to feel close, but I think in some ways uh, maybe it's overrated." And uh, <clears throat> please understand what I'm, trying, I'm saying. I don't think I, I think it's important to feel close, but the reason why I say that maybe it's a little bit overrated uh, comes from this passage because when Peter says, "We are being built up as a spiritual house." He uses this Greek word oikos, which usually communicates the idea of household or family. And if you think about what defines family, it's more than simply how close you feel to somebody. Uh, There's an objective reality that binds you together by blood that makes you family. And so maybe some of you have siblings, and I'm sure there's a wide range of relationships that you have with your siblings. Some of you, maybe you talk to your sibling every single day and they're your best friends, but others of you, maybe you only talk to your sibling once a year. But despite how close you are to your sibling, you're still family, right? And chances are you still have each other's back because you're family. There is an objective reality that is rooted deeper than simply how you feel and your subjective experience of that closeness. But there's a closeness there that is very real and bound by blood. Now, when it comes to spiritual community and spiritual family, that reality runs even deeper because we are bound by even deeper blood, and it's the blood of Christ. Jesus is the one who brings us into this spiritual family when he dies upon the cross. And therefore, if you, again, are a believer in Christ, there is this objective, deep spiritual truth and this reality that you are part of this spiritual community. Now, when I go through membership class, I have, I have this little chart, and usually it, it charts the experience of community life, and I say, you know, <clears throat> uh, when you join a church or become part of a church, maybe uh, community life feels like this, right? It's getting better. It's like, oh, these people are kind of cool. Oh, these people are interesting. I'm learning so much. But eventually, uh, it always takes a dip, right? Boom. <laughs> and eventually, it's like, man. Uh, These people aren't as cool as I thought or uh, I'm I'm just getting bored or I'm not learning as much as I thought. And what I usually say is that dip is really important because whether you overcome that dip or not, I think will determine whether you get to the point where you say, this is my family, this is my spiritual community. And oftentimes it's in that dip where people will often leave the community and look for another one. And so I think a lot of people don't really go through church life Uh, getting to the point where it feels like this is my spiritual family. Because in order to get there, you need a lot of patience, you need a lot of perseverance, you need a lot of endurance, you need a lot of reflection upon the gospel and what love and reconciliation and service truly means. Because in community, I mean, let's be real, there's some people that you're going to click with, but there's some people that you're not going to click with. There's some people you're going to have a really hard time holding a conversation with and there's some people it's going to seem like you've known each other for years. Some of you are going to have to put yourself out there and actually really make an effort to adjust to other people and that's going to be an uncomfortable thing and you might not get anything in return. But if you're not willing to do that in community then maybe you don't really understand the nature of the gospel and what Christ has done for you. If you look at verse 10, it says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, why did that happen? How were we not once not the people of God? And how did we become the people of God? It's because of this. When God looked at us, he didn't say, Oh, this person, we click, right? (laughs) He's holy God and we're, we're sinners. There's no way he looked at us and said, Oh, you know, this person I click with. But he did it out of love, right? He did it out of love. You think God looked at you and said, you know, you have such a pleasant personality uh, and I can really get along with you. No, he didn't. In fact, when the gospel, when the Bible describes our relationship with God, it says this, that we are sinners, that we were once enemies of God, that we were like the unfaithful bride or unfaithful wife to God. And now we can say that we are God's people. Now we can say we're part of God's family. How can that be? And the answer is simple yet profound. The answer is love. Love. God looked on you. God looked upon us and loved us in one of the most amazing ways. And he sent his son to be crucified so that we might be welcomed into communion with Him, so that we might be adopted into His family, so that we might ultimately belong to Him. And when God saves us, He doesn't simply just save us on an island, but He saves us into also a community, the church. And we think about that truth. Think about it just for a moment of what that actually means, and how can we respond to that by saying, I don't want to welcome this person into my community. I'm too busy for this community. How can we respond by saying, it's not worth it? Because at the end of the day, neither were we. But God reached out to us and showed us love. And this leads to the last thing that I want to say about community. And it's this. You know, Community always has to, I think, have a missional dimension to it. See, Peter, he makes the identity of the church so clear in verse 9, and he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then you see this purpose clause. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Out of identity comes this purpose clause, so that you might proclaim. Proclaim the excellencies of Christ. God gave the church community an identity, and out of that identity is supposed to flow deep worship, and mission, and we proclaim the excellencies of Christ to one another as we worship, but we also proclaim the excellencies of Christ to the world, serving as a witness to the one who is so worthy and so beautiful. And so we're going to start uh, these community groups again in a couple of weeks, and uh, here's what here's what we're hoping. All right, we just met together as community group leaders uh, this past week. Uh, we're hoping that we can really build a habit of meeting together weekly. Uh, we're hoping that we can start strong and really make this something an essential part of our weeks. If you're part of this church community, then I hope you can understand that uh, you being there, your presence is, is actually very important. And I know that people are busy and sometimes things get in the way, which is fine and completely understandable. But maybe some of us have to reflect whether we understand the true importance of community in our lives and in our faith. And maybe we have to make it a higher priority. You know, sometimes the the best thing we can do, and sometimes the only thing we can do, is just be present. Right? Maybe we can't be as active as other people, and that's okay. Some of us are busier than others. But don't underestimate the power of just your presence. You know... uh, a couple years ago, I, was, I remember I was playing in this softball tournament. It was this is church tournament, and uh, honestly, it like ruined my life because I have all these like issues now because of it. But anyway, I'm not a great athlete and I'm not a great baseball player. And uh, you know, I I hit this ball and I was running. And it was actually a triple, right? It was the best hit I had all day. I was like running to third, and people were like slide, slide. So I was like, all right, let me slide. But you know, I was wearing shorts, so I didn't want to like you know you know, get dirt on my leg. <laughs> so I stuck my arm out. And when I stuck my arm out, basically my arm just like went back, right? I ended up tearing my rotator cuff and my labrum. But guess what? This was like game three of the tournament. There's like three other games left. And uh, we only had like nine people. And so because we had nine people, I had to play. And if I didn't play, basically we would have had to forfeit the tournament. So literally I did nothing. I just stood in the field and my, my arm was like, hanging. when I went up to bat... I tried to bat lefty, right? And I was just like, I just stood there and I I didn't really do anything, right? I didn't do anything, but guess what? My presence there mattered, right? It made a difference even though I didn't do anything, right? Because I was there, it mattered. (laughs) Now, here's a a reality. I don't know how many of you realize how important your presence is. As you meet in these community groups every week, you know, some say, I don't feel like going, right? Oh, it's out of the way. Oh, I'm hungry, right? I'm tired. Uh, right? We have all these reasons. and uh, Of course, some of them are definitely legit reasons. But here's what I want you to consider the next time uh, you feel that way, that just by your mere presence, you have the power and the ability to encourage a group of people. And if you do that on a weekly basis, friends, that's a life well spent. That's a life in New York that is well spent, that you can encourage people even if it's not by... Actively doing something. You see, here's here's one of my hopes. I I hope we can uh, have these meaningful and flourish co- uh, communities. But I think everybody has to be all in, right? Everybody has to be all in. I remember talking to someone. Uh, I think it was last year, and they're saying, you know, I, I rearranged my whole work schedule and my travel plans just so I can attend these community groups, and. Uh, you know what happened? Everybody else in the group, they flaked out and they canceled it. So why, why am I going to rearrange my schedule if everybody else really doesn't care about these community groups? I said, you know, you have a point. See, I think if we want to have these flourishing communities, there has to be a sense where we're all in. right? We're all committed. We all consider these things to be a priority. And if we do, right, if we do, and we can create these communities, ones that are built on Christ, ones filled with committed members, ones that have this outward focus to serve others. then I think we become a church that really, in a tangible way, demonstrates the gospel to New York City. That in addition to preaching the gospel, we get to show and illustrate the gospel to people in New York City. But it takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy, it takes sacrifice to really get there. And if we can get there, believe it or not, I think the ones who will be the most blessed are not going to be uh, those that are served, but those who are serving. Because there you witness the power of God. There you see how God is changing hearts and working in people's lives. There you see uh, how people grasp onto hope and seek hope when they're in hopeless situations. And that, friends, is a great blessing. There's no greater blessing than seeing how God has used you in ways that you could not imagine in people's lives. And it doesn't take super Christian to do that. It doesn't take pastor or elder to do that. It just takes people who are committed to Christ and committed to loving and serving those who are around them. So this is not a leader role. This is not a community group leader role. This is a living stone role. And that means that if you have faith in Christ, if you are a believer, it takes all of us to be the spiritual household
0: that God is fitting us together and making us to be. Let's pray.